Amen. Would you open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24? Today's message is on personal choices. Last week we talked about the personal choice between a blessed home and a broken home. How many of you have chose a blessed home? Can you say amen? Amen. We now are going to talk today about the difference between being greedy or blessed. I hope you can already tell the obvious choice of the two. Do you want to be greedy or blessed? How many want to be greedy? Raise your hands. No, you don't want to be greedy. How many want to be blessed? Raise your hands. Amen. Today's message is going to encourage you, and it will inspire you to do great things for God. Look with me to Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Here's the simple words of Jesus, so profound. You've heard them many times, but let them ring anew in your heart today as you hear it. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. Everybody say, you cannot serve. And then say, God and money. The Bible says you cannot serve both God and money. Now, today is going to be a message about finances. Now, before I get into this message, I want to tell you some things from my heart. The first thing is, as a pastor, I want to apologize to you sincerely from my heart for those in the ministry that have abused this subject. I want to take responsibility for the body of Christ that has lied to parishioners, uh, stole the money from people, televangelists who have made promises. That's not Christianity. As a pastor, I want to tell you I'm sorry about that. Whenever I have seen that, I have confronted it. All of the friends that I have in ministry are the total opposite of that. Brother Anthony and his wife, Sister Melanie, love and boast about the clothes they get at the second-hand shop. They boast about it. I mean, Cynthia, you were there at that meeting. Right? They boast about Look at these jeans I got. Now, I'm not saying a pastor has to shop at uh, you know, Goodwill, but I'm telling you, the friends, the people I look up to, they've never in ministry been dishonest. So that's the first thing, is I want to apologize to you. The second thing is, I want you to let down your guard, because there's not going to be another offering. This is not going to try to talk you into giving more to this church. What it's about is the principle that when God chose an uh, idol that people would set up and put against God, he didn't say sex, he didn't say you're not going to serve God and sex, he didn't say you're not going to serve God in your job. Out of all things he put up there, God and alcohol, he put God and money. Do you know why? Because money has the root to all evil. The love of money will distort your life. And today I want to clarify it to you. And as a matter of fact, I think today you're going to leave out of this service, you know, with a better understanding and a joyful heart, not just of giving, but of living with what you have right now. So the first thing is I want to apologize for the people that have misused this subject. There is no uh, offering at the end of this message. There is no deception. My bills are paid. We're not going out of business. Amen. This is not for us. This is for you as a church to learn the principle. And the second thing is, it's going to bless you because the devil will use this. If we don't talk about it, he will use it. He will use money to try to destroy your life. And he's done it with so many. So can somebody say, preach it, preacher. 
Amen. So let's get into the message. I want you to look at your notes and answer this question. Please do it as privately as you can without discussion. I'm really wanting to set you up here for a, a good message. But here's the first question. How much money do you think you need to be greedy? So we're talking about greed today. How much money do you think you need to be greedy? So maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, if I just got a nice home, I would be blessed. But if I got a really big mansion, then that means I'm greedy. Or if I would have uh, a certain brand of clothes, you know, coach purses, and uh, no offense to those that have them. Just give me an example. Maybe somebody might think, well, you can shop at JCPenney's for a purse, but if you go to coach, then you're greedy. I just want you to think about that. How much money do you think you need to be greedy? The second question that I want you to ask yourself is, how much money do you think you need to be blessed? Somebody might be sitting here right now, boy, if I had $1,000, I would be blessed. Maybe somebody else, $10,000, oh, if I had $10,000, I would be blessed. Somebody's like, no, that's just peanuts, man. If I had $100,000, I would be blessed. Maybe there's something, man, a hundred. I need a million to be blessed. Answer that question to yourself right now. How much do you think you need, this is a personal question, to be blessed? Now, I want to give you what I believe. Both answers are none. Let me explain this to you. The first question, how much money do you think you need to be greedy? I believe you don't need any money to be greedy. As a matter of fact, some of the most greediest people I've ever met in life have the least amount of money. When I worked in the housing projects of New Orleans, there were a lot of greedy young kids. We would come out there on Christmas and we would give out toys. They would throw down the toys and say, we want another toy. Sometimes those that have the least are actually the most greedy. And that is, is, is kind of contrary to our thinking because we may see somebody come up to the, ch- the church in a Lamborghini and we might go, oh, look, look at, the, oh, we know what they're dealing with. Love of money, you know, come on. Oh, look at that pastor. Oh, he, oh he's got some nice jeans on. Oh, love of money. You see, we're so quick to point the finger and define the love of money and greed based on how much you have. When I believe it has nothing to do with how much you have. I believe that's always relevant. Because right now we're all rich to the people in India. But does that mean everybody here is greedy? In India they use uh, uh, the, the toilet. They have a hole in their apartments. They have like a bucket of water next to them. They use their hands without toilet paper in the hole in their house. This is not uh, for just the poor. This is for the middle class. And then they dip their hands in the water and they clean themselves and splash it on themselves. And like women, what you use to uh, clean your flowers with, they pour it down their backside. You might say that's gross. There's a billion people in India that live like that. They think we're kind of crazy. Because I had one of the guys staying with us, the pastors in our bathroom. We went into the bathroom after he got out. There was water all over the ceiling. There was water. <laughs> Am I telling the truth, Ricky? Water all over the floor. And we were trying to figure out what they were doing. They were going into the toilet, getting out the water to clean themselves. You say, oh, that's gross, but that's how they do it. So they may look at you. Oh, look, you have electricity. You have running water. How many of you have a car? Raise your hand. Ooh, you're rich. You love money. So the first thing is you don't need any money to be greedy. And greed is not based on how much money you have. So that's a misnomer. The second thing is how much money do you think you need to be blessed? None. According to the Word of God, as you're going to learn today, you're blessed whether you have a million dollars or one dollar or no dollars. You're blessed because God is in your life. 
I want to encourage you with that today because there's some men here that, that are like me. When I was out of a, a job five years ago before we started this church, I judged my worth based on how much I had in my wallet or my bank account. And that was one of the saddest times of my life because my wife was working, I wasn't working. And men, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I would just ask you too much right now with all that machismo pride. But if I were to get along with all the men and say, would you feel terrible if you lost your job or some of you who have already or lost a house in this economy, you would say, yes, I take it personal. It makes me feel like I'm not a man. But I'm here to tell you, you're still not only a man, you're a blessed man if you're living for Jesus. Because money comes and money goes. Sometimes you have a lot. Sometimes you don't have a lot. I'm not a financial planner. I'm not here to talk about investments. I'm here to talk about how to not love money and how to be blessed in your life. And the first thing I want you to do is turn with me to Psalms 1 and learn this, that being blessed is more than money. It's more than money. Some of us would say, man, I'm blessed on payday, but on bill day, not so much. <laughs> you can always tell the people in the bank who are making deposits versus those who are paying their bills, you know. Those that come to the bank making deposits, they're smiling right Adolfo as a bank. Tell, Here I am, deposit this money. When they're paying their comrade bill, just take it. Yeah, you know. Ah. You can tell it's Friday. We're happy. God is good. Then all of a sudden you're paying your bills. Oh, God, where are you? How much is cell phone? $300. I'm not blessed. I'm cursed. I don't understand. I've changed companies three times. I've got five different plans. I'm still paying more on my cell phones than I ever have in my life. Whoever's in that business is making money. But being blessed has more to do with money. Look at Psalms 1. Let's establish that today. Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who has a lot of money in his wallet. Is that what it says? Blessed is the woman who gets the shop on Michigan Avenue. No. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So that means today, if you're not listening to the advice of wicked people living a life as a sinner, you're blessed right now. Because I'm, I'm going to give you a little, uh, a little kind of like uh, a preview to the end of the message. My friends, heaven's a lot better than this earth. And you already got a citizenship up there. Your timeshare is waiting on you. Amen. And, and it's okay. You don't want to rush to get up there and enjoy this life, but it's going to be a lot better up there. One time a rich man came to heaven, and he said, uh, Peter, can I meet Jesus? And, and Peter said, yes, it's time for you to meet Jesus. He said, can I just ask one favor? Can I go back down to earth, and can I get something that's so precious to me to bring it back to Jesus as a gift? Of course, this is a fictional story. Okay, just follow me here. Peter uh, said, of course, we'll let you do this. Just one time, you, you're so rich, you know, we don't really do this, but I'm going to let you do this. So the, the rich man came with bags and bags of gold. He brought it before Peter. Peter said, can I take a look at it before you bring it to Jesus? He, he said, yeah. Peter looked at it and said, why did you bring concrete up here? You see, the streets are made of gold in heaven, friends. What we think is so valuable, I can't wait to get my hands on gold. That's what we walk on in heaven. It doesn't impress God. 
Why do we try to impress each other when that doesn't matter either? The Bible says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You see, God is impressed, if you want to use that word. God is blessed when we live for him or stand in the way of the sinners. You see, when we avoid the wicked path and we walk on the right path, we are God's children. He loves us for that, not according to how much money you have or sit in the seat of the mocker. So today, ask yourself, according to this definition, are you blessed? Do you listen to ungodly people? Do you walk with sinners? Or do you listen to those who mock God? If you do, well, then you're in trouble, not because of your financial situation, but because of your spiritual situation. And let me tell you this, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't get out from under that curse. But today, if you're listening to God and you're not walking with the wicked, you're not standing where sinners are, you're not sitting where the mockers are, you're blessed. You're blessed. Can you say, I'm blessed? Look at the promise. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, whose leaf does not weather. Whatever he does, prosper. Somebody say, prosperity. You see, prosperity means in this context that whatever you put your heart to, God's going to get your back. You build a house, a family, God's going to get your back. You have a heart to do a career, a job, God's going to get your back. You need to reposition into a new career, God's going to get your back. That's what it needs to be blessed. So let's take away all of the dollars. Let's take away where we live, all the houses. Let's take away all that and look at what God says. This means I'm blessed right here. Now, something I want you to realize about this is that if you are only looking at your material wealth as a blessing, Well, then when your material wealth is gone, you're not blessed anymore in that mindset. And that's why when people lose their jobs, I've heard men who have lost their house in this economy have committed suicide because they attach their wealth to that. But let me ask you a question. I'm a Wyrostic by my last name. My heritage is from my Wyrostic family. You met them last week. If you take away my ID that says Wyrostic, does that change me from being a Wyrostic? So the outside circumstances don't dictate my identity. The first thing you need to learn in God's economy, in God's business, is that your outside circumstances, your paychecks, what you have, does not dictate your identity. Your identity is you're a child of God. Your identity is he's got your back. Your identity is you're blessed with a blessing from God on high. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. And it doesn't matter what comes in and out of your life because you can take a blessed man's job, but he's blessed, he'll get another one. You can take a blessed man's house, he'll go get another one. You can take a blessed woman's car, she'll get another car. Why? Because her identity is not tied to her situation. Her identity changes her situation because we are who God said we are. So when you're looking for a job today, when you're facing trials in your life today, start off by saying, I'm blessed. And Lord, I pray for your prosperity to follow me in all that I do because I know if you're with me I can succeed and prosper in your name because being blessed is more than just money the second thing I want you to learn today is that money is a tool go to Matthew chapter 22 verse 14 money is a tool it's not a person it's, it's not something that, you know, people say we love money I, like how do you love money in that sense do you love a hammer Do you love a washing machine? But you know when we say we love money or you hear the Bible talk about it, you know what it means? The things money buys. 
We love the popularity that it gives us when we have a lot of it. The friends that want to hang out with us. We love the clothes because it gives us a higher self-worth. We love the car because it makes us go back and forth to work. We love these things. And so what we're actually saying is not that we just love a green piece of paper. We love what it does. But I want you to know that God has a plan for that money that goes beyond just what you wear, just what you eat in the house you live in. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked more about money as an illustration than any other subject. That means when Jesus gave parables, he talked more about money than he did about seeds. He talked more about money than he just did about ordinary objects in the room, like a like uh, when the Bible talks about the lost sheep and the woman finds, or, or the shepherd goes and finds the, the one sheep. Do you know that in that same context, he says a woman lost gold coins, and then he says again about the pearl of great price. So two out of the three illustrations of what it means to be lost when you're found or found something, find something valuable, had the tag of money on it. So meaning God always looks at money as a tool. It shows where your heart is. It shows what you value. It shows what you're willing to do with it. This is a parable. It's a little long. Can y'all stick with it and say amen? Amen. It's a little long, but it will teach you how Jesus looked at money as a tool, no different than a hammer or a nail. Look at what Jesus said. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent. To make it real in our language, I'm going to take talent and make it $1,000. To one he gave $5,000, to another $2,000, to another $1,000, according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the $5,000 went at once, put his money to work. Everybody say, money to work. He put his money to work, man, just like you would put your horse and plow to work, just like you would put your washing machine to work. He said, I got money. This is a tool. I'm going to put it to work. Everybody say, put it to work. Amen. He said he put it to work and gained $5,000 more. So he doubled up. So also the one with 2,000 gained 2,000 more. But the man who received the 1,000 went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received the 5000 brought the other five, and he said, Master, you entrusted me with $5,000, and see, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Why is this steward rewarding his uh, manager, the person he put in charge? Because they were faithful with what, they gave, what he gave them. And what God has given us in this parable is that Everything you have is on loan. You, even your body, is on loan. How many know it goes into a grave one day? But the Bible says you'll be resurrected. That's by the power of Jesus. So even though you have a body, it's my body, that's not really your body. That belongs to the Lord. Amen? The air you're breathing, that's his air. All of the talents you have in your mind and all of the education you do all comes from God. Can you create one brain cell right now in yourself? Can you do what the Bible says, make yourself grow an inch? Can you just by thinking about it change your hair color? No, you can't. So these things are out of your hands. God gives them to you, your life, your talents, your abilities. 
And he judges you on what you do with it. And money plays such a key role because money leads to all these other things. Are we going to use the little money that we have? Because remember the rich man, he brought the gold, but that's just pavement in heaven. So even if you're a billionaire in this place, to God, that's so little. That's so little. Are you going to use what you have for God's glory? Use it in double and make an impact? Or are you going to do what this last person did and just waste it? Hide it. We'll get to that. Keep going. The man who had two talents also came and said, Master, you've entrusted me with $2,000, and I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Everybody say, Rewarded. Now look at verse 24. Then the man who had received the $1,000 came and said, Master, I know you're a hard man, investing where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. This is farm talk right here. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. He hid it. And the Bible says, here's what belongs to you. See, this gives him back the $1,000. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Everybody say, you wicked. And everybody say, you lazy servant. See, God's not playing with us. This is the language of the Bible. This man says to him, you wicked and lazy servant. He said, if you knew that I've harvested where I've not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed, well, then you should have put your money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Everybody say, take it from him. Take the $1,000 from him. Give it to the one who has $10,000. Oh, he shouldn't get it. He already has it. No, God is saying he deserves it because he's worked for it. He's earned it. Amen. We need to be careful in our society when we have this spirit of entitlement. Jesus is not like a socialist. Jesus is like a capitalist. (laughs) Come on. And I'm not trying to get political here, but read the Bible. Jesus says if you've worked hard, you've earned it. That doesn't mean you have to give it away to somebody else who hasn't worked hard. Now, charity and those things are different. We'll talk about that later. But that's the moral of the story. Work hard, and you'll be blessed. Don't work hard. You'll have what you have taken from you and given to the man who worked hard. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be lazy. Might get snatched up. (laughs) Praise God. Verse 29, take the thousand from him, give it to the one with 10,000. For everyone who has will be given more, and he who has and will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let me apply this to your everyday life right now. You have to see money is a tool. And you might say, Pastor, I'm not burying money anywhere. Man, I'm using every dollar I have. But let me ask you it like this. Are you using your money for God's kingdom? Because if you're not and all you're doing is just paying bills, just buying the kids clothes, just taking care of the ordinary things in God's economy, that is wasting it. Well, am I supposed to take care of my kids? Absolutely you are. Absolutely but if you're not giving God a tithe, as we're going to get to in a minute, if, we're not, if you're not giving it back to God, you know what you're doing? You're loving that money. And let's think about this. Why didn't the man go and do something with the thousand? The Bible calls him lazy. But why are people usually lazy? Because they're afraid to get out and fail. People who are lazy are afraid to try something. This man did not want to try something. He didn't want to get out there and do it. You know how I liken this to living by faith? You might be saying right now, Pastor, there is no way I could tie 10% of my income because if I did, the whole world will fall apart. The sun won't shine. There will be no more oxygen. 
I love it when people tell me their stories. It's so dramatic. If I don't tithe, my children will beg on the streets. They'll be naked and I'll go to jail. Are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to put the money to work in the kingdom of God? I would rather invest in the kingdom of God than in, than in Macy's, than in the banks, than in Wells Fargo, than in all of these companies. Invest in the kingdom of God because it's a tool and you will be judged by what you did with it. Can you say amen? Number three, love for money is a choice. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 is that most popular scripture that people have heard. But I'll give you the context. It says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money. Everybody say, for the love of money. It doesn't say money by itself. It says, for the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money. Somebody say, eager for money. Thank you have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Somebody say amen. The Bible is saying that love for money is a choice. Some of the people that I have met that are the most generous givers have a ton of money. You might say, well, Pastor, it's easy for them because they have a ton of it. No, you, you, don't, you, you don't know their heart. There's people who have a ton of money that are wasting it. They say over 60% of those who win lotteries will lose it within five years. I'm talking about Christians. Some of the happiest businessmen are people that I know who are generous. They're blessed because they don't love their money. They know it's just a tool. Some people have said, well, you know what? If I had a lot of money, I, I probably would be a giver too. You know what? They started tithing when they were children or when they first got saved. If you can't tithe off $10,000, how are you going to tithe off $100,000? And if you can't tithe off $10, how are you going to tithe off a million dollars? You learn the principle early on, not to love money. But listen to what it says. It's the root to all sorts of evil. Why? Because when we have this money in the flesh, it defines us. And then we move into a neighborhood where it's gated, or we have a car that so many people can't afford, or we have a purse, and we want to make sure everybody sees a name tag. What we do is we begin to become greedy, and we become to uh, be harsh and mean and wicked to people out of this. That's why when you see these sports stars get their money, they show it off. These music stars, you know, it just blows my mind how young people, because I'm a little older now, a little gray hair, don't understand without them buying their albums, the people rapping would be bums on the streets. Nothing against rapping. I'm just being honest with you. So these guys, million, 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 millionaire. These rappers are rap. Don't act, don't act like you all don't know. Some of you older people know. These people rap about money, and they're talking about all this money. You know why they have all this money? Because every person in this room that likes rap at one time or another went and downloaded their song, wouldn't bought it. They would be nothing without us. If we took the same buying power of this generation and gave it towards the church, it would blow your mind. If we just gave towards the missions what we gave towards Avatar, we could reach a world for Jesus. Come on, parents. You went to Avatar. Let's keep it real. You see, my friends, it's what you do with it. I remember watching an interview with Bill and Melinda Gates, and the interviewer said to Melinda Gates, you have no expensive jewelry on. You have nothing flashy. Why, why are you here in Africa finding cures to AIDS? She said, because I know there's no happiness in that. Even these atheistic thinkers understand there's no happiness, uh, happiness in having the most toys. 
They said to them, are you going to give this money to your children? They said, no, we're giving away 90% of it. Of course, I would still like to have 10% of it, amen. That would be good if I was their kid. But are you getting the point? People who say money makes me happy just don't have enough of it yet because when you finally get to a certain point where you think you're going to have enough, it's never enough. You're on to the next number. You're on to the next thing, and it's fleeting. And what will happen is the Bible says as you desire to get rich, you'll fall into temptation. You'll be doing your taxes. And and just to save that extra $1,000, you'll fudge a number. Just to get that raise, you'll lie to your boss about your experience and before you know it you'll be doing things in your life that bring you into other sins the bible says it's a choice you could have a million dollars and not love it it could be a tool to you or you could have a dollar and love it it's up to you whether or not you love money and it's not my job to judge you so to me we don't matter it doesn't matter what car you come in here with it doesn't matter how you give i remember one time a pastor said that somebody in his church came up to him and said "Uh, uh, excuse me pastor how do you give $100,000 in the offering? And the pastor said to him, just like everybody else does, you take an envelope, walk up, and you drop it in. You see, but that man wanted some type of status. He wanted his name, you know, right above the door, the man, the myth, the one who gave $100,000. And we want to do this in the church. We want to judge each other. The Bible says when we're giving and we're tithers and we're giving like that, one person may have a dollar in their pocket and give 10 cents. That's their tithe. That's awesome. That's generous. That's being blessed. But if that person who has a dollar holds on to it and says, I'm not giving my tithe. I only got a dollar. I, I need that for my dollar menu meal at McDonald's. I can't give that. The Bible says they're greedy. Oh, but it's only a dime, Pastor. No, it's in their heart. They're greedy. They won't be trusted with much because they're greedy. But somebody could come in here with $100,000 and drop it right in the offering, and it'd be the same amount. They might have just made a deal worth a million bucks. That's just their tithe. There's no special hand clap for you. That's your tithe. Praise God. You're doing every, what everybody else is doing. We're all giving our tithe. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's look at the next principle. Money never satisfies, but God does. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. My friends, don't love it. It will never satisfy you. I'm going to teach you today to live to give. You know what will satisfy you is helping others. What will satisfy you is when you've taken care of your family. What will satisfy you is when you've done good in the kingdom of God. But the money itself will never satisfy. How many can say amen to that? And then look at the words of Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. Come all who are thirsty. This is for all my rich friends that uh, maybe in this world you're considered rich. Listen to what it says. Come. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Look into verse 2. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me, rich person. You may spend your money, thousands of dollars here, tens of thousands here. Let me tell you, you'll never satisfy your soul. You're wasting it. You're wasting it. Give it to the church where we can help the poor. You're just, if you're throwing it on the gambling table, if you're throwing it into more toys, you're wasting it. And the Bible says you're not even having bread. The illustration is here is that a man is starving and he has thousands of dollars and he goes to the baker and he says, here's thousands of dollars. Give me something to eat. And the baker gives him a brick. 
It's not bread. But he's spending thousands on it. He's wasting his money on it. And so the principle is here. When you go to this world and you have all this money and you buy the nicest house, what you're really looking for it to do to satisfy your soul, to have a happy home, that's why you got that house. But you can't get a happy home with money in a location. You can't get satisfaction in your soul through a 65-inch TV. It only comes to from Jesus. And you've got to get on your knees and ask for it like everybody else, baby. Hallelujah. I remember watching T.D. Jakes, a famous preacher, preach to Deion Sanders, a famous sports star, and said right at him, I was there listening to it. He said, Deion, when you were making all that money, I was praying, and that's why you're on the front row listening to this preacher. Because I'll tell you, you're going to get to a point where no matter how bad you think you are, you're going to need the Word of God, friend. You're going to be thankful that God is here and there's a church because your money can't buy that. And then now here's for everybody don't have a lot of it. Listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. So that means there's a place at the table for little old me. Amen. I can come right on up. I don't have to drive up in a Lamborghini. I don't have to be a shiny, you know, pristine, you know, a pastor, you know, on televangelism. I'm welcome at the table just as I am. Amen. Come to the Lord and let him satisfy you. The last principle that I want to give you, or the last things I want to give you, is these five principles today. I want to go through them quickly with you so that you today can be blessed and not greedy. Can you say amen? Number one, focus on being blessed. I know today so many people are suffering because of what has happened in this economy. It may sound easy from this pulpit to say what I'm saying, but I've got to tell you what Jesus said. Focus on him. Focus on him. You will find another job, ma'am. You will find another job, sir. You, you, you may have to get into another occupation. You may have to get re-educated and retrain. It's okay. Don't give up. You will make it. Focus on who God is. Look at what Matthew 6, 19 says. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not steal. For where your treasure is, there also will be your heart. So let me ask you today, friends, where's your, where's your treasure at today? Quick story. There was a missionary by the name of David Livingston, grew up in England hearing stories about Africa from his father. He grew up wanting to go to Africa to be a missionary. He learned to become a doctor, and he was going to bring medicine and help to the African people. He went there as a young man. He brought his wife with him. Before he married his wife, they were on a first date. He asked her, i got to ask you one question. Are you willing to go with me to Africa? She said, yes. He said, you got the job. I want to marry you, baby. And he married his wife. True story. They then went to Africa. Africa. They went into a remote part of the jungle. This is over a hundred years ago. He then stayed there and gave his life for the missionaries. His wife got sick and contracted a disease. She went back to England. There he went and visited her in the hospital. By the time he went and visited her, his skin had already changed color from being in the hot sun. He had lost partial eyesight because of a fight with a tiger in the jungle. He showed up to his wife and said, baby, I'll stay with you by your side to the bitter end. She said, no, you belong 
in Africa. Go back. That was the last time he saw his wife alive. She died in that hospital. He went back to those jungles, worked for the gospel's sake, helping the African people. He himself then contracted a disease, and he was praying in his heart, God, should I go back home to England as well? But God said, no, stay. A few weeks later, a, a reporter came to him in the jungle and said, I want to tell you, and this is where the statement comes from, David Livingston, I presume. So the reporter came and said, David Livingston, I presume. He said, yes, that's me. The, the reporter said, I want to tell you two things. They've made me come all the way out here to help you. And I want to tell you two things. Number one, I brought you medicine. And number two, I'm an atheist. David Livingston then told him, you're an answer to a prayer because God told me that medicine was coming. The atheist converted to Christianity and wrote about David Livingston's exploits. There in Africa, David Livingston continued to serve the people until he was an old man. While he was there dying of old age, he would be carried around on a stretcher. He would then come and lean off the stretcher and pray for the different people of the villages. One night, they said, David, it's time for you to go to bed. He said, no, let me pray for Africa. Put me on my knees. They put this old missionary on his knees. He began to pray. They came back in to check in his room. He had died praying for Africa. True story. The African people said he's a hero to England. People have wrote all these stories about him. We must bring him back. They then traveled through the jungle, those hundreds of miles, and when they got to the ship, they said to the people, this is our tradition. We're taking his heart back to Africa. And they cut out his heart, and they said his body may belong to England, but his heart belongs in Africa. And they went back as a, as a ritual and put his heart where the warriors would put their hearts, where the things they cared the most about in life, and they put his heart under the first tree. He had preached the gospel. I I want to ask you a question today. If you were to die, where would they bury your heart? Would it be under your TV? Would it be under your Cubs blanket? Would it be where you play your Xbox or PS3? Would it be at your job? Or would it be with the kingdom of God and the things that matter most in life? Where is your heart? That's what the Bible says. Because where your heart is, there is your treasure. And those of you who just say, well, my heart's with my family. Oh, you don't get off that easy, my friends, because I love my family too. The question is, are you preparing your family for heaven? So don't just say, oh, I'm with my family. I buy them clothes. But do you teach them the gospel? Do you show them how to pray, Dad? Mom, do you teach them how to live by God's word? Because I'll tell you what, all your preparations, all your tying and teaching of the tying of the shoes, all your ABCs will mean nothing if their soul perishes forever in hell. It's a real place, parents. Make sure that your treasure is not just in providing for them, but providing the spiritual teaching and nourishment and admonition to Bible commands. Amen? And going on down to chapter 6, verse 33 of that same context, here is the promise that has kept me through every struggle I've ever faced financially, and I want to encourage you with it today. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. My friends, you may be going through the hardest situation right now. I want to encourage you. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Seek first his kingdom. Pray. Worship him and get out there and let him lead you in this life. Do not have a pity party for yourself. Do not let the devil tell you God has left you. And don't, make, uh, don't take on yourself. It's all your fault. It's neither, my friends. Bad things happen to good people, and God will see you through. He has not abandoned you. I wish I had more of an amen than that. Because I'll tell you what, some of you have come to me and you said, man, it hurts so bad losing my job. It hurts so bad not having what I used to have. It hurts so bad. I know, my friends, I'm telling you, we've all faced those times. But when you get alone with God, he's not judging you on your financial statements. He loves you, and he'll encourage you. 
And you'll get back out there and you'll find another job. You'll find something else to do. You get out there and you get out and do it again until you say, until when? Until it happens. It took me five years, my friends, to have what we have right now. I remember being a pastor in the ghetto, and people would send food for the poor, and I would have to take the food. I had to ask them. I said, is it okay if I eat the food you're sending me to give away because I don't have anything to eat either? I know what that's like, friends, and I know what it's like for every demon in hell and, 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 and ignorant friends to come up to you and tell you it's all your fault. The devil's a liar. You hang in there. Amen? Praise God. The second thing is be a tither. Look at Genesis chapter 14, verse 20. The Bible talks about that in everything we have, we honor the Lord with this thing called a tithe. Somebody say a tithe. Why do we give this tithe? Why is this so important? It's established way back in the Old Testament with Abraham. Verse 20 says, And and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave a tenth of everything he had to Melchizedek. Why is this tithe so important way back in the Old Testament times? Long before Pastor Joe had a church, okay, everybody? Long before I was here, can you say amen? Those pastors just want money. Listen, long before I ever was a pastor, this was in the Bible. It's a principle. I myself went to church for many years. Tithing had nothing to do with it, okay? Pastors are not bad people. Can you say we love you? Thank you. Amen. I just don't want any rocks being thrown at me. I've already apologized. But you don't get off from not giving your tithe. I've apologized for churches that have misspent it. I've told you that they've done wrong. They've bamboozled. They will be in trouble on God's judgment seat. Trust me, God will avenge them, avenge you and have revenge on them. That's what the Bible says. It's a terrifying thing to fall, uh, fall into the hands of a living God. He will make it right. But that doesn't take you off of being a tither. Why is this tithe so important? And why does the Bible say it comes first? Why does it come first? The first fruit, this tithe, we tithe off our gross. That means we get, you know, $2,000 on a pay period. Uncle Sam comes and takes his taxes. We get 1600 You know what's going on? We used to pay our taxes at the end of the year. You know why we don't do that anymore? Because people weren't paying their taxes. So Uncle Sam doesn't trust you and I. So Uncle Sam takes his right off the top. But I still made that $2,000. Are you listening? So what do I teach? We tithe off of? We tithe, which is ours. That 2,000 is ours. Somebody say the gross. You can still come to church if you don't like this message. We love you, amen? But you won't be blessed. Because blessed ain't to do with your money. Well, I still got money. No, no, no. Your heart, remember? The tithe, what does it say when you give it first? I don't love money. I love God. That's what it says. Before you just, oh, I got to spend it. Okay, I know what I got to do. I got to pay my mortgage. I got to pay my electric bill. I've got to take care of my kids. No, that's love of money, my friends. Oh, well, you say that's so important, Pastor. It is important, but it's the love of money. Because what you're saying is I'm this house, I'm this electric bill, I'm this school. You're defining yourself by this. When you give God a tithe, what you're saying is I'm yours. Before I'm a mother, I'm yours. Before I'm a a renter or a homeowner, I'm yours. And this, what you've given me, is a tool. And I will honor you with it. I've tithed in times where I've had nothing. I've had being in debt. Had not, had nine, we, about two years into this church, we had $9,000 in credit card debt because we could not clear it. Everything we tried to do would not work, and I wouldn't ask the people anymore. We just, we, we just put it in God's hands. And then somebody had an inheritance, gave us $30,000, and I shouted, Hallelujah! Woo! But I'll tell you what, friends. I was tithing, giving, 
saying, God, it belongs to you. What does it do? Number one, it takes away the love of money. Number two, it shows God that your priorities are in his priorities because his priorities are the kingdom. And then number three, it sets you up for future blessings. It's saying to God, look, you can trust me. I, I'm giving it to you. I, I can be trusted with more, God. You can actually give me more. I can be trusted. There's a story of an old country kid going to the summers with his grandma in the country. And his grandma would always go to church with them and they would buy some ice cream after service. And they, they would always enjoy these times together. But the grandma got sick. She, she couldn't come. So she said to the little boy, here's two nickels, one for to give to the Lord in church and one to buy that ice cream with after church. So go ahead. Here you go. And the boy was just like a little kid. He was playing with the money. And while he was walking, one of the nickels fell and went into the ditch and then went into the water, the little stream there. And you know what he said? He goes, oh, there's God's nickel. There it went. You see, we're always quick to say, oh, that bill, oh, that, 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 that's, that's got to go to the bill first. You see what the tie says is, no, this is God's nickel first. It's always God's nickel because, God, you gave it to me, and I'm being faithful to give it back. Where do we believe that tithe goes? We believe it goes to your local church. And if this is your church, we, we ask you to trust us. And we give you business reports every year. And if you want to see one before, then you absolutely can. Look at number three. Be a giver of offerings. Can you say, offer unto the Lord that which is mine? You see, the tithe is offering to the Lord that which is his. The offering is that which is yours. Even though it's on loan, God says it's yours. It, it's up to you now what you want to do with it. But I would ask you today to pray and to be a giver of offering and to sow seed, as the Bible says. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 36, and see what this individual did. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So why do we do our tithes and offerings here at the front of the church? Because the Bible says they brought it to the apostles' feet. Here was a man who owned homes, and he sold one, and he gave it to the church. Isn't that awesome? My friends, that's great. Now, why would he do something like that? He has homes because he knows money. It's not what it's about. He's blessed with or without these homes. God has given to him. All that he could imagine, and now he's saying, you know what, I'm giving back to God. I want to ask you a question when it comes to offering. How have you managed your money? I'm not a financial planner, and I don't want to be nosy. I, I just want to ask you, what do you prioritize? Let me give you a few examples to ask yourself. Do you spend more on dog food than you do on missions? This is a statistic right now in America. When we circle missions in our church, we give to the poor and hurting around the world. The average American gives more to dogs than they do to missions. So you have a family pet, $30, $40, give or take, go to Petco. You've got your, your dog food all there. But when it comes to missions, some of you maybe don't have a passion. See, that's an offering. See, check your heart. Let me ask you a question. How much have you spent on movies and entertainment this month as opposed to helping those in need? So I'm not talking about you stealing the bottle out of your baby's mouth. Well, pastor just wants us all poor. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just keeping it real. Where's your priorities? Because we say we don't have money. We, we say it. We, well, we don't have any money, pastor. But text on Facebook or whatever, we're going to go see, you know, a new movie. Or my kids, uh, we're going to Six Flags for the weekend. You, my friends, what we have done is loved money. You might say, pastor, that, you know, that doesn't make sense. Let me explain it to you. When I take my kids on vacation, I'm teaching them that vacation is the source of their happiness. When I give to missions, I'm teaching them that God is the source of their happiness. 
long before there were six flags, long before there was restaurants where you could spend two and three hundred dollars on, long before there was dogs that would walk around in little uh, knitted outfits and, and all of these little shoes. Before there was all of that, people had to learn to find happiness elsewhere. What I want to tell you as a consumer generation, because we all are, from me to my newest do-diddle right here, to what you have in your pocket, let me just encourage you again today. Offerings will bless you more than what you're giving it to over in these places. And if you only know how to have a cell phone, but, and you think you can't live without this, without this cell phone, the moon stops, the tides stop coming in, the earth loses its rotation. Because No, don't take it from me. You will live without this. Oh, I'm looking at some people right now. I wish I could just take a picture with this and just pray for you all week long. Help them, Lord. I'm not the bad guy, Jesus. When I give to offerings, I just gave, you don't even know this, but your church just sold a $2,000 love offering into a new church in this city that just took over our old building. God put it on my heart. We sold a $2,000 seed. And on that seed, wait till you clap if you're going to clap, amen. And on that seed, I put, because we believe a farmer sows seed, I put Bible materials for the nations. Now can we bless the Lord, amen. So when your pastor wants to put these books in all of these nations, when it has to do with the Metro Praise Vision, what's the first thing I realize I got to do? If, if what's in my hand doesn't meet my need, then it is my seed. And I'll make happen for others what I want to happen to me. So God put in my heart, son, so $2,000 into this man's ministry. Now here's the story. I text him and I say, brother, uh, how much is your month's rent? Because that's the amount. God told me to give was the month's rent. He writes back to me, $2,000. I write back to him. God says, it's paid right now. We're giving it to you. He said, tears are coming down my eyes. You can see it on my phone. I said, why are you crying? And then when we met, he explained the whole story. Here's how it goes. He was building this property, 5405 West Diversity. City Lights is the name of the church. He was building the property, overshot his budget like we did. We overshot ours by about 6000 He overshot his budget. He had to stop the project already put it on Facebook. I didn't see it. Project has stopped. Pray for a miracle. He then goes to Guitar Center to buy all of his musical instruments. He needs $2,000 more. God told him never to use his credit card on this, but now he has no choice. He, he bought $10,000 with the sound equipment. He had to pay the rest of the $2,000, and he goes up with his credit card. As he's putting on the credit card, which God told him not to use, here comes the tax. $2,000 is coming into your hands. Shaka laka. I get excited about that, y'all. Amen. See, don't be greedy. Well, I wish you would do that for me. Make happen for others, which which you want to have happen for you. See, being a giver means you're a receiver. The Bible says givers are receivers. Amen. Number four, work a job that works for you, obviously. We're going to have to earn it somehow. Where does it come from? We know it doesn't grow on trees. Where does it come from? It comes as a reward from our economy. As long as there has been people working, there's been substances that have been traded as monetary, as value. So what do we do for it? We work. We all find a place to work. For even when we were with you, we gave you this real rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. So what we do is we find purpose. And we start to work in that purpose, and we ask God to prosper us. 
And then our elderly, the Bible says it's the job of our families to take care of the elderly. And if my mom and dad want to move into my bedroom, they can. Amen? We need to get out this idea that we got to have some big, you know, middle-class home. That These baby boomers are getting rocked right now because their parents can't afford the retirement in Florida like they thought they could. And now having to move back into the family. That's okay. As a matter of fact, I would rather have grandma and grandpa on the, in the house than to have gangbangers, drugs, and all types of other stuff going on. My friends, it's okay. Anybody living in an extended family home right now, it's actually biblical. Don't put yourself down. Take care of your family. Work a job that works for you. It doesn't matter what you get paid. Live within the means. It's simple. Don't spend more than what you have. Think of a credit card as only a way of buying things that you pay off every month. Once again, I'm not a financial planner. I'm just giving good, sound advice. And if we could live in a one-bedroom apartment and be happy, it's better to do that than live in a three-bedroom house with a car note that we can't afford being in debt. Can you say amen? The average American is $5,000 in debt right now. May God help us learn his principles. And the last one, 1 Timothy 1, uh, 6, verse 8. Pray and live within your means. It may not sound exciting. It may not sound like an infomercial. It may not be like these real estate scams that are going to make you a million dollars by next week. But it's what the Bible said. Amen? Can we believe this more than Donald Trump today? Can we believe this more than we believe those things that just try to give us a quick, get quick, rich scheme? Here it is. People, uh, rather, starting in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. You know, I've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. When you're buried, they're not putting the Jordans on you, friend. They're giving it to your cousin, Okay. When, when you go, the 65-inch TV ain't going with you. It's going to your son or it's going to your brother. Amen? My grandpa never let me touch anything as long as he was alive. But guess who got his cars? Amen? When you see me roll up in the Mercury, thank you, Grandpa. My man was watching me hit speed bumps, and I was thinking, man, I wish, I mean, only if my grandpa could see me now. Dukes of Hazard style. I'm telling you, somebody else will get everything you have. You're not taking it with you, y'all. You came in with nothing. You leave with nothing. Amen? And then the Bible goes on. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Would you stand to your feet with me today and bless the Lord because you're blessed today? Can we do better than that? We're blessed. Amen? Band, would you come, please? Today's message was greedy or blessed. It's your choice. It's a personal choice. You can set in your heart a goal to have tons of money, but I'm telling you, that doesn't mean you're blessed. I want to encourage us today to seek God for all that we need, to pray for each other. A great place to go is small groups when you need prayer because they're going to carry the burden with you. I guarantee you when you go to a small group, you're going to meet people going through the same thing. One of the things that encouraged me the most when I was going through my financial hard times was knowing that other people understood what it was like. I actually believe I went through that so I could understand this economy more. Because I've always been sheltered as a child. My parents paid for my schooling. They gave me a car, etc. But man, when I, was st- when I stopped working as a youth pastor and I was in between starting this church, I was used to New Orleans. And the sun uh, in New Orleans actually stays out to about 6 or 7 at night in the winter. And I was here in the Midwest watching the sun go down at four in the afternoon. 
And that was freaking me out. Anybody else come from another place that kind of freaked you out? Maybe two of us. That's okay. Just, you know, I told Hope, you know, when she moves up here, get ready because it goes down early, man. How do I know that? Because I had nothing better to do except know when the sun goes down. I just sat in my house all day. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And you just, it just, it's like a broken record over and over. Why, why am I such a failure? Why don't I have this? What, man, why don't I have what my friends had? I remember during that time it was the economic boom. This was about six years ago. My friends who were in ministry, their churches were exploding. They were building multi-million dollar facilities. I remember my friend told me all about this brand new home he was building. And it was real easy in my heart to go, oh, dude, that dude's greedy. God, get him back because he's greedy. But the Lord checked my heart and said, hold on, son. He's not greedy. He just has something. You don't right now. And I remember the Lord telling me this. And I hope this blesses you today. I remember him telling me, you have with me the same thing you have always had. Nothing has changed. And that's, you want to know what gave me motivation to start a home Bible study with uh, Jessica and Salvador? You want to know what gave me motivation to start working hard again, reinvent myself, come up with books? That's what I did. That's why that's I wrote those books because I was pastoring four people. What do you do when you pastor four people? Are you all okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? You're okay. Amen. What do I do the rest of the week? I'll sit and write. And Nancy will testify. I just went and just wrote everything I could think about Jesus, dating, you know, Islam, all this stuff. And then guess what happened? Prosperity. Okay, so here I stand. Joe, here he is. Okay, church of 200 people, brand new facility, bills paid, two beautiful children, house. Okay, do, do I have more from God now? No. He, would, he kept his word. I have the same thing I had five years ago. It was his blessing. That's it. Because all this could go away. What if next time I'm in India and God says, one-way ticket, son, you're giving the church to Adolfo. You're going to stay in India. I've heard, don't get scared. I, <laughs> I've heard pastors say that. I've met pastors in foreign mission fields with churches bigger than this. And they said, God told me, leave it all behind, give it to another associate, and just live in this nation. Would I still be blessed? Yes. And so are you. Look at what Paul said. He sums it up so good, inspired by the Lord. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. Somebody say the secret. It's not what Oprah's talking about. It's what God's talking about. Here it is. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What's the secret, Paul? What is the secret? Here it is. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Father, we just thank you today for that promise. We're putting our trust in you today, God. Lord, it was not the easiest subject for me to talk about. God, you know how I never want to come across as a money-talking pastor. But Lord, you put it on my heart to talk about choices today and the choice that people have to make in their finances. Our altar workers are coming. I'm going to begin to pray for two types of people today before we dismiss. The first group are those in this place 
you don't know the Lord. You may have a whole lot of things, a whole lot of money, a whole lot of toys, but you don't have the blessing. You don't know what it's like to be satisfied. You don't have an assurance that when you die, you'll be with Jesus. I'm going to pray for you today that you would accept the Lord. You would repent of your sins because chances are you're loving money in some form or another. And I'll tell you something, it will never satisfy. I bid you to come to Jesus today where he will satisfy you, as the Bible says, with the best bread, the best water, the richest affair. Your soul will be satisfied. I'm praying for you right now. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you who don't have a personal relationship with you, that today, God, they wouldn't trust in their education, they wouldn't trust in their job or their finances, but, God, they would trust in you, the Savior of their soul, and that today, God, you would come into their life and save them and give them a meaning in life worth living for beyond what they see. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this with me. But especially those today who need to have a relationship with God, pray it from your heart and mean it. Everybody's going to join with me. Let's say it together. Jesus, we come to you today because we believe in you. You died on the cross for me. You took all of my sins. Today I believe in you. That when you were buried, you rose on the third day. And today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Now on your own, just begin to pray and ask for forgiveness. This would even be a chance for those of you who are Christians who may be struggling with the love of money. Just ask God to forgive you of it now. On your own, just pray, Lord, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me of lust, of money, lust of the flesh. God, forgive me for my bad habits. Come on, between you and God, nobody can make you do it today. Christian, if you're here today and you're struggling with money and you've begun to become greedy or jealous, ask God to cleanse you. He'll cleanse you today. A few more moments, you and the Lord. Jesus. Now everybody continue with me. Say, Jesus, I've repented of my sins and I know that you heard me. So I ask you today to give me new life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit because I believe your word that says whoever calls upon your name shall be saved. If you're saved, begin to worship him right now. Give him a thank offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you. And now I just want to pray for our second group of people. For those today that you may be struggling, you are fighting tooth and nail to get out of this financial dilemma. I want to pray for you today to have strength and trust in God. You might say, Pastor, I don't see a way out of it. That's okay, neither did Moses. But God made a way out of no way. He knows how to make ways in the wilderness for you. He'll do, he did it once. He'll do it again. I'm praying for you today, Father. You know those who are struggling. Maybe it's a single mother. Maybe it's a family. 
Maybe it's a homeowner. God, maybe it's a young person struggling to get into college, Lord, working God night and day at their job. Lord, I pray today for special Holy Ghost strength upon their life, Jesus, that today, God, they would begin to experience a victory on the inside of them. If that's you, would you just begin to raise your hand across this place? Those that just need strength in the valley right now of whatever you're facing. Jesus, we're praying for them right now. You see who they are. Now all those who receive prayer, whether you've accepted the Lord, whether you just need help in this time, I'm going to ask you as, you, as we sing this song before we dismiss, that you would let us pray for you now. Wherever you are, would you come? Let us pray for you. Whether you're accepting the Lord the first time or whether or not you're just needing prayer for a financial situation, let us pray for you today. Come, Jesus.